Life is different. Death is different because of the resurrection. It is what gives us hope. And I don't mean hope in the way that we say, I hope this happens. When the Bible uses the word hope, it's an assured belief that this will happen. It will come about. There's no doubt in it. It's not like we use it where we'll hope that will happen. No. I know it's going to happen. I'm looking forward to it. It is in that hope that we have because of the resurrection is the reason why you're here today. It makes all the difference in the world. The resurrection, the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ is what we're going to be talking about today. In the passages of Scripture we look, we're looking at in this series comes from 1 Corinthians 15. If you can go ahead and turn to that, we'll get to that in a minute. But 1 Corinthians 15, we looked last week, Keith did, about how the proof was there in what Christ had happened to him, that he was raised from the dead, and the number of witnesses and others who saw it as proof that what Jesus came to do, he did. And today we're going to look at that from a different perspective, a different side. We're going to look at Paul talking about the, re- the resurrection and the difference it makes in our lives. But as he starts this, he starts by looking at what happens if Jesus was not resurrected. If Jesus was physically not raised from the grave. What would it be? What would it mean? In order for Paul to talk about, and really for us to talk about the resurrection, we first have to understand why it was necessary. What's the big deal about it? And to go there, you first, before you get to the good, you have to get to the evil. To what every single one of us in this room will deal with and do deal with as we live life. And that is the word death. It is a reality everyone faces. This physical life that we value, that we love, is something that we know if we stop and think will one day end. There are many, we often try to hide from this death, from the fact of it. We spend trillions of dollars trying to extend life. We have done well in many ways. Medicine has improved our chances of recovering from things that 50 years ago you wouldn't have recovered from. The surgery that Keith had was just an outpatient surgery Friday. Do you realize 50 years ago that would have been, you would have been cut from here to here and you'd been in a hospital for seven days? It was a major surgery. Now he was home in four hours. It's mind-blowing what we've done with medicine. But what's even more impressive is, you know why our lifespan, in terms of the average lifespan, has increased? Yes, part of it is that we're able to live longer. But also, the big reason why is infant mortality is not what it used to be. It used to be about half the children who were born would die before they got 
past the age of four or five. That was a reality. But we have greatly expanded that to where that's not as often uh, an outcome. So our lifespan's in the 70s now, compared to the Middle Ages where the average lifespan was 35 because of the number of infants who died. For them, in the Middle Ages, death was all around them all the time. For us, oftentimes, we don't see it as clearly. I remember my grandparents stayed in their homes. Many of your grandparents, of those who are youth, will go to a nursing home. Or you live away from your grandparents, so you don't see them every day. And you don't see what happens as the body grows old and tired. And so death isn't right in front of us oftentimes like it used to be. But then it comes blaring at us at times, doesn't it? With a friend or a spouse or a family member who dies. When you turn on the TV and you see the tragedies of war and the unfairness of death, it will blurt at you. It will shout at you. These are the things that we have to talk about because it's a reality all of us face. When Paul writes his message to the Corinth church, he's dealing with a community that is also dealing with this question of death and resurrection. Now, when we approach this uh, reading that we're going to look at today in, in 1 Corinthians 15, we need to understand something about the culture that Paul is writing to. Paul's writing to a culture that's the Greco-Roman culture. And within that culture, there was some belief of some people that said the physical body and the spiritual body are two separate things. And the two do not mix. In other words, you can live with your physical body however you want to. You can do all the immorality, all the things that are mean, and it doesn't matter to your spiritual body. Now, that's a weird concept to us, isn't it? We see, as the Jews saw, that the body and spirit are intertwined. They're together. And what the spiritual body does affects the physical body, and what the physical body does affects the spiritual body. We get that. That your actions physically do affect you spiritually. And who you are spiritually affects what you do with your physical body. But there was a group that said no, Spiritual is separate from physical. And so Paul, who is writing this letter in response to questions that they have written him, what about this, Paul? What about this, Paul? Comes to this section dealing with death and resurrection and why resurrection is the key to our Christian faith. Why the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. And if that does not happen then we are in a bad place. So let's look at this passage together. From 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to look at it, starting in verse 13. Now, before we get there, I, I want to, to talk to you about my experience with death. What I have seen of death. Um, I remember the first time that I have any memory of a death happening 
I was five or six years old. I had gone with my parents to the hospital to go visit somebody. I don't even remember who this person was. It may have been my great-grandmother. I'm not sure. But I remember there being a big question about whether I could go or not. Because back then, if you were under the age of 12, you didn't go to the rooms. But somehow, I got in. And I remember walking into the room and hearing a... (sighs) And then not hearing anything. And my mom said, oh no, they died. And she quickly taking me out of the room. Folks, at five or six, I had no clue what had just happened. But as you grow, things happen to you. You see people unexpectedly die. You see those you expect to die. I, I remember my grandparents' deaths. In some ways, they were a blessing because what they were living physically was hard. I remember my mom's death. And I was glad she had passed away because what she was living was not good. But I also remember my father's death. And just walking in probably two minutes after he had passed away. It was in August. And, he had, and, and when he, had, uh, just in May, had, had played golf 18 holes. It had happened that quick. You have your own stories. As a pastor, I have seen death done beautifully. And I have seen the tragedy of death. One of the most special scenes I have ever had in my ministry is a lady in a church in Columbia that was my first ministry. She had her mom come in and live with them for three years because her mom couldn't do things on her own anymore. And then I remember as her mom got weaker and weaker, that relationship, that bond was so unique. To the point of that night when the mom passed away, the daughter literally crawled up in the bed and just laid down with her like a child. And I thought, that's special. But you also see the times that aren't special, that are hard. And the reality of death is all around us. And to understand that, it's important for us to hear that. Because our society wants us to not listen to that. To pretend everything's okay. When in reality, physical death is there to remind us of spiritual death. The fact that we are separated from God. And that without God's intervention... We all are on death row waiting for the day we die. That's reality. And that's the reality Paul speaks to when he starts this chapter in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 15. He uses this word, small word, if, over and over again. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Not even Christ has been raised. Those of you, he's saying, that believe there's no physical resurrection of this body, if you believe that, then what we've been preaching about Christ being buried, dying for our sins, you remember we we looked at that passage 
Uh, last week, Paul says, what I receive, I pass on to you. He says this in verse 3 of, of this chapter. He says, I pass on to you as maybe just a little tiny bit important. Is that what he says? No. He says, of first importance. The most important thing you will hear from me, he's saying, is this. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. And he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That physical resurrection is important. And Paul is now going to say, if that didn't happen, what does it mean for us? And he's going to tell you. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. So y'all can all go home. Some of you would enjoy that right now. But there's no reason to be here. The best sermon you've ever heard matters nothing. If you were saved when somebody preached a sermon and you accepted what God had done for you through Jesus Christ, and your sins were forgiven, too bad. It means nothing. If Christ was not raised from the dead. He goes on and says, more than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. You hear that? We're lying about God. Not only are we living a faith that's useless, that has no point, we're telling others the opposite of what's true. If Christ isn't risen from the dead. But he goes on from there and he says, as he repeats himself, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Your faith is meaningless, is useless, is futile. And the result of that is you're still in your sins. You don't have forgiveness. You don't have a relationship with God because you're still separated from him physically and spiritually. Because Christ was not raised from the dead. Because we can't deal with our sins ourselves. And we're going to talk about this as Paul does a little bit later on. And then he gives another reason. And those who also have fallen asleep in Christ, they're lost. Those people that we say we want to see again who are believers who have died before us, we won't see. That's bleak, isn't it? Bad. Because it is bad if Christ isn't risen from the dead. And then he finally says, for only for, if only for this life we have in, hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. If the only thing we have of Christ in this life is he led a good moral life, he taught us how to live our lives, but there's no forgiveness of sins, then ultimately what good was it for him to come? His coming was, was useless and our following him is useless because there is no way to deal with this thing we call death, both physically and spiritually. I have known, and you probably know others too, who say, you know, Christ 
really didn't rise from the dead. That's something that the, the writers of the Gospels just said to, to give a happy ending to the story. And when they say that, they say, but, but what he taught was good. And that's what you should live by. But he's living a lie. He lived a lie. Because that's what he talked about was the fact that he came to make a difference, to change our death row sentence, and to give us life. That was his major topic of conversation. So you can't go there. God gave us Christ for a reason. And the proof of who Jesus Christ is is in his bodily resurrection from the grave. Folks, I could tell you that I'm going to go at the top of this steeple and I'm going to jump off and I won't get harmed. How many of y'all would believe me? Come on, somebody. (laughs) Of course not. You'd say that's silly. Do you understand why people didn't believe Jesus? When he said, I'm going to rise from the dead. But you know the difference between him and I? I'm not jumping off the steeple. He did die. And three days later, he was raised. And it proved everything about who he said he was and is still today. So the good news is, Christ did rise from the dead. And that's what Paul goes to next. In chapter uh, 15, verse 20, he says this, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. That's the good news. And then notice what he says about it. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What does that mean to be a first fruit? How many of y'all had tomatoes or blueberries? I had blueberries or strawberries that you had to cover last night. Anybody cover your plants last night because of the frost danger? Okay, y'all don't grow plants. First, first group did. I covered my blueberries last night because they were at the right age that if I didn't, they would have all died. But I covered them. And so now what am I looking for? Why did I cover them? Because I want blueberries. I love blueberries. It's my favorite fruit. And I'm looking forward to those blueberries. And come June, I'll get the first fruits of those blueberries. And I look forward to that day, folks. I enjoy it. But it would not have happened if I haven't covered them up. Folks, the same is true of Christ. He is the first fruits of the resurrection. The proof that all of us will rise from the dead who are believers in Jesus Christ is the fact that he rose from the dead. He was the first, but he will not be the last. That first blueberry I eat will be good, but the good news is I've got a month and a half of them. And the good news for us is it was great that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, but it's great we will too. Because he's the first fruit. We can know that we will as well. 
He says, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So he's comparing Adam to Christ. Now you remember the story of Adam. Let's go back to it just briefly in case you don't. In Genesis chapter 3 is where we find it. And we're going to pick up the story where Satan is, is having a conversation with Eve and, and he's trying to tempt her and he does tempt her. And he asks her basically how things are, what's, what's going on. And, and she says, may we, he, she said, God told us that we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. That tree was called the knowledge of good and evil, by the way, was the name of that tree. And you must not touch it, or you will die. So that was what was thrown out there, that God had told Adam, eat anything else. Just don't go down near that tree. Any of y'all got two-year-olds or three-year-olds? You tell them not to do something, what do they do? They go do it. Why? You can blame Eve and Adam. Because we all want to do it what we think is right, not what God tells us is right. All sin boils down to the fact that we know more than God. At least that's what we think. And that's what Satan tips her with. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. In other words, you get to decide just like God does. You don't have to listen to him. You decide. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Was part of that true? Yes. Not that you will be like God, but you will know good and evil. Wouldn't you love not to know evil? But the reality of sin is this. We say, I'm going to do it my way. And when we do that, we lose the protection that God wanted us to have. And sin comes in and it separates us from a God who loves us. Who wanted everything for us. And that sin is displayed in the story of Adam and Eve. And as we come back to the example that, that Paul uses in the scripture, he says that death came through the consequences of sin entering this world through Adam and Eve. But the good news is, life comes through Jesus Christ. God loved us enough that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It is in that love that we have the good news. Life happens because Jesus came to show us, I care for you. I love you. The sins you have committed, I will take on. I will remove you from death row and give you life, freedom.
And that's all because of who Christ was. And we know the validity of his claims because of his bodily resurrection. And that's what Paul is saying. In Adam, all die. In Christ, all will be made alive. Those who are believers. And that's why we're here, isn't it? Or it should be. It is understanding that fact that that we need to, to come to grips with and understand that Christ is the source of life. And the resurrection proves it. As he goes on, he continues in verse 24 saying these things. He says, then the end will come. When Christ, he is what he uses, but he says, when Christ hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has sort of taken care of all dominion, authority, and power. That's not what he says. What did he do? He destroyed it. He didn't put it in a corner. He destroys it. It is no more. You know, we look at something that happens in the Ukraine or something that we see as an injustice that happens in the world around us and we say, it's not fair. And it's not. But the promise of God is there will be a day when all the evil in this world is destroyed. When all the powers, Satan himself, and all the evil forces are no more. They're gone. They have no impact. Why? It's not because of us. It's because of Jesus Christ. And Paul looks forward to that day And he says, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And then he lists the last enemy. And what's that last enemy? It's the thing that all of us in this life face every day. If we understand life. And that is death. Each one of us face that reality. But the good news is, even death will be defeated. And we know that because Christ came and died for our sins, was crucified, he was buried, and three days later he rose. Remember what Keith talked about last week? The number of people who saw him? It happened, folks. It is a first fruit. It is good news. That last enemy to be destroyed is death. You know, even the Old Testament talks about how there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more dying. One of my favorite scriptures to read when someone who is old and has lived a long life but has become invalid is in Isaiah 35. I'll read that at at their graveside because it'll say, the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue will shout for joy. 
And I oftentimes think of those people when I was in my ministry at First Baptist Williamston. I remember seeing someone so vibrant, but now I see someone not able to get out of the bed. And I remember that scripture. The lame will leap like a deer. And the mute tongue will shout for joy. Why? Because death is defeated. It is, it has no power over us. The writer of Hebrews, I think, sums up what Paul says very well. We read in Hebrews chapter 2 these words. Since the children have flesh and blood, who are the children, folks? We are. He too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Satan's power is destroyed. It is no more. It has no hold over those who believe in who Jesus Christ is. And what he did for us in dying for our sins to be forgiven. That power is destroyed. And here's also the good news. It's one thing to destroy something, but look at what he says happens in its place. And free those, free, free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? He will say that later on. And the reason why he can say that isn't that he doesn't understand because Paul understands death very well. It's because he understands his God better. And understands that death has been defeated. It has no claim on him anymore. It has no claim on you if you decide to believe and to live for a Christ who loves you and gave himself up for you. He proved it by his resurrection. And it is what we look forward to. Death scares us. It scares me. But it doesn't have to rule me. It doesn't have to make me its slave. Because God has freed me from that. And I can look at death and say, you do not hold control over me. God does. And he's given me life. So each day, we're called to live that. That understanding that death is defeated. And to live for a God who brings us life. To live in a way that shows a world that there is hope. That isn't just the end of us physically when we die, but there is something more. 
And that more is bountiful and good because of Jesus Christ and the proof of his resurrection. Let's close in prayer. Father, we are grateful that you are a God who has provided for us what we cannot provide for ourselves. Forgive us for when we try to be like God. And thank you that you have provided a way out of that scenario of death, both physical and spiritual, in the sense that we have life because of Jesus coming into this world, taking on flesh and blood, living amongst us, and dying on a cross for our sins to be forgiven, paying the penalty for what we do wrong against you. Father, I thank you for that, but I also thank you for his resurrection as proof to his claims being true, for him being who he says he was and is and always will be. Father, today, if there's someone here who has not made that decision to to listen, to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, Father, may they hear it today. And for those of us who have heard that message, may we live with a boldness that comes from knowing that death is destroyed and that life is eternal in you. And we have freedom. Thank you for that. And we pray all this in your son's name. Amen.